because we were able to get this grant and we were able to connect with other grantees, we have now been able to advocate for our families and have seats at the table um, to really share the concerns and the needs of our community when it comes to digital inclusion and comes to broadband access. Today, we're bringing you another episode in our special Community Broadband Bits podcast series, Why NC Broadband Matters. I'm Ryan Marcatilia McCracken with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. NC Broadband Matters is a North Carolina nonprofit. Their mission is to attract, support, and champion the universal availability of affordable, reliable, high-capacity internet access. The group has created the North Carolina chapter of CLIC, the Coalition for Local Internet Choice. ILSR is working with NC Broadband Matters to produce this series, focusing on issues affecting people in North Carolina that also impact folks in other regions. In this episode, we're joined by Maggie Woods, Policy and Program Manager at the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State, as well as Amy Huffman, Digital Inclusion and Policy Manager within the Broadband Infrastructure Office in the North Carolina Department of Information Technology. Chris is talking with Maggie Woods and Amy Huffman about an innovative series of grants on digital inclusion in North Carolina. And after, we'll talk with Arlene Gordon-Bray, iZone Community Engagement and Industry Partner at Edgecombe Public Schools, about how they're using the grants. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is a special edition. We're back working with NC Broadband Matters to deliver some special content focused on North Carolina and some of the really inspiring work that's making a difference in that great state. Today, I'm excited to talk with Maggie Woods, the Policy and Program Manager at the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State. Welcome to the show, Maggie. So happy to be here. And we also have Amy Huffman, who's back after having previously talked with us about the homework gap and great work she was doing on it. Amy is the Digital Inclusion and Policy Manager within the Broadband Infrastructure Office at North Carolina's Department of Information Technology. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm I'm very excited about talking about this approach, which frankly is one of the biggest bangs for the bucks that we're seeing in terms of of better broadband planning across the entire country. But before we get into what Band NC is and, and how the program works, I just want to offer a little bit of background on, on what you both do. So Maggie, would you please tell me a little bit about the Institute for Emerging Issues and, and what you do there? Absolutely. So um, the Institute for Emerging Issues is a public policy center based out of NC State University in Raleigh. And we have a big ambitious mission to make North Carolina a more prosperous and economically vibrant state for everyone. Um, And so the way that we've traditionally done this is by being a convening organization, which looks very different in the time of COVID, but we're really good at bringing uh, people together from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different sides of the political aisle to wrestle with big ideas in the state. Um, And because we focus on emerging issues, each year we choose a new issue or two to um, highlight. So either issues that we think are truly innovative um, or issues that we think um, could be stuck a little bit or might need um, different kinds of attention put on it. And so in the past year, we've been focused on digital inclusion, which is why we're talking today. 
Yes, and I came to one of your events, and I have to say it was phenomenal uh, in terms of of uh, an event uh, that had really good speakers, was very well produced, had a, had a diverse group of folks that came to it. So uh, I will just say that I am happy to evangelize the work that your organization does. Um, and of course, uh, I like to, as a as a bit of a sports junkie here and there, um, NC State, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. <laughs> I'm sure you have great <laughs> academics, but your sports are really wonderful too. <laughs> Go Wolf Pack. So Amy, let's talk about the longest title uh, that we've ever had on this office, on this show, I think. Um, what is your role? Uh, and, and actually, I just have to say the, the title, Digital Inclusion and Policy Manager, is it's a wonderful title. I wish every state had a person with that title. So what do you do there? Yeah, I wish every state had a, a state broadband program had a digital inclusion person dedicated to digital inclusion too. Um, so our office is a state broadband office, and it's our vision that every North Carolinian would have access to affordable high-speed broadband anywhere at any time. And a number of years ago, when digital inclusion started bubbling up as part of the conversation, um, we had already been focusing on broadband adoption and increasing broadband adoption throughout the state. Um, we highlighted it in our state broadband plan, and we're working towards those goals of increasing broadband adoption. Um, but when digital inclusion, the conversation around that, it sort of shifted a little bit in around 2016, 2017. And so we realized that that was an issue we needed to double down on and, and really focus on. And so since about that time, I started working in the digital inclusion space um, in, in a number of different ways, leading a coalition of folks across the state, um, uh, working with experts to, to create pilot programs to increase digital inclusion and, and uh, get funding to the state to do that sort of thing. It, it's just something that's iterated um, over time and, and expanded. Um, but basically, I lead our office's digital inclusion programs, policies, and efforts and, and um, help support folks across the state who are doing this work. Excellent. And part of that is is, is is playing a role in this effort to create a digital inclusion plan for every last county in North Carolina, which I just I love that you have 100 counties. Um, it's really helpful. Nice round number. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So let me let me ask you, Maggie, then, how did this this program start? Let me, I guess, first give us a thumbnail sketch of the Building a New Digital Economy in North Carolina Band NC program. How did this come to be? So Band NC's goal is to equip counties to meet needs and to build more digitally equitable communities. And like you said, our ultimate goal is to make North Carolina the first state in the nation where every county has a digital inclusion plan. Um, and this really started because of the event that you referenced, Christopher, um, that took place in February. So right before the pandemic hit, we really didn't want there to just be an event about digital inclusion without doing something about it. So we were able to announce some grants at the end of that event um, and to kick off Band NC. Um, and, and then the pandemic hit and all anyone wanted to talk about was um, the digital divide in North Carolina. Um, and I know Amy and I have talked that before the pandemic, it was sometimes like pulling teeth to convince people that this was a real challenge. Um, and that's not something that we have to do anymore. And so people started coming to us saying, um, how can we support? Um, how can we um, help help counties? And so that's how Band NC has been able to grow really, really rapidly. So this past summer, we were able to offer a first round of funding. Um, we provided rapid response community innovation grants 
um, to counties across the state. And this could be used to meet immediate digital needs or to try something new and innovative. Um, and we were able to fund 29 projects in 39 counties over the summer. Um, and we'll have a second round of funding coming this spring. This is, I think, worth digging into briefly. And I'll ask LSU, Amy, I feel like a lot of times people have divided, I've certainly divided the problem with internet access into access to infrastructure versus the training, the device and that sort of thing. And I feel like for this, you're like, what if we just deal with all of these issues all at once? <laughs> is that is that a correct reading of it? I think so. Um, I will say that, and, and Maggie can speak to this as well, is that uh, for Band and C particularly, because they are $5,000 grants, you know, those are miniature grants, that's not going to fund an entire county's access problem, right? So, so in North Carolina, we think we have about a billion dollar access problem um, to our rural areas, about 95%, according to the FCC data of our households are covered. Um, we know that data is flawed. We know that's actually quite a few more households. <laughs> a lot more households don't have it. Um, so we think it's about a billion dollar pro uh, problem. So while there were some projects that were funded that did like community Wi-Fi and things of that nature and funded hotspots and, and, and things that solve the access gap in some communities. We did recognize that this, this band NC pro, uh, program um, is really geared towards the digital inclusion aspects. We really loved seeing projects that uh, addressed affordability, that addressed computer ownership, um, that addressed digital skills and digital literacy and getting that to folks who needed it. We did see a lot of proposals for working with schools and, and helping get kids online in the middle of some pandemic and, and love those types of proposals. It, the way we describe the broadband challenges is that it's actually one challenge. It's just two sides of the same coin, right? So there is the access challenge and we, we have that across the state and across the country, right? There's millions of households across the country who don't have the literal pipes and wires. But just as importantly, there's millions of people who don't have the skills and don't have the devices and don't can't afford it. And if you can't afford it, if you don't have the skills and you don't have the device to use it, it doesn't matter if you have access to it or not. It's not going to improve your life or be meaningful in your life or improve your economy. And so to us, it's the same challenge to split into two sides. Um, and we think it's really important to simultaneously address both sides um, or we're not going to actually make any progress. Yes. I, I think, you know, you mentioned that the 5,000 doesn't perhaps go very far in terms of solving this problem, but, you know, I actually think it will, and, I, and I'll be curious what the early results are in the sense that uh, what, I'm, what I'm hoping for is that we see this catalyzing the local conversation. That, that's what I think is the brilliance of this, is that you're providing enough money that there's incentive for local groups to start talking about this, and, and I would hope that they're developing a plan that addresses all aspects of it. You know, So in one county, it might be more of access or it might be more of inclusion, but every county can can kind of work toward that on their own. Uh, is that what we're seeing, Maggie? You're exactly right. Um, and that's how we've tried to design the program is for the $5,000 to be a catalyst. So in the grant application, we asked grantees to tell us who, were, who they were bringing to the table um, or who they thought needed to be brought to the table in order to accomplish their digital inclusion goals. Um, and so we're seeing that across the board, people telling us that receiving this $5,000 has helped them bring on community partners that they couldn't bring on before. And we know of the 29 projects that we're funding that 
14 of those projects or 14 of those counties are working on a digital inclusion plan. And so what's really exciting about this is that um, even if only those 14 um, build a digital inclusion plan as a part of Band NC, that will be huge for our state and we'll re really get to that goal of um, bringing community together and using that $5,000 as a carrot. Um, and one other thing I'll mention is in that this second round of funding, the second round of funding that's coming out this spring is really to help communities implement a part of their digital inclusion plan. And so um, the idea is that communities will turn in their plan as part of their application um, and that, um, if, of course, it'll be a competitive process, but that then we'll be able to offer another $5,000 to communities that have completed the plan. Now, if I'm a community, um, let's say I'm, I happen to notice Wilkes does not have um, uh, one of the, the plans yet, on, at least on your website, um, am I still eligible to put a group together and to, to try to um, access $5,000 or how does that work at this point? Yeah, 100%. And Amy and I have launched a series of virtual workshops to help communities begin to build a digital inclusion plan. Um, and these workshops have been open to band NC recipients, as well as anyone else in the state that's interested in building a plan. Um, we have those recorded and can pass them along to people who are interested. We can also meet separately um, and are developing some other workshops that'll be rolled out this January. So this is open to anyone. Something that I've been excited about re regarding this is that it elevates local voices who may not have been heard otherwise. I'm sure a lot of these places have a person who uh, was already trying to push toward more digital inclusion and that sort of a thing. And then suddenly, you know, $5,000 is available. That person is going to have more of a voice within that community. And, and, and hopefully that will just change everything and, and, and get a, a, the snowball effect, which as before we started recording, I think Maggie mentioned the, the sense of the snowballing. Um, so Amy, I'm curious, are you seeing that? Is that a sense that, that we are empowering different voices within communities uh, in ways that would not have been absent this, this $5,000 opportunity? Absolutely. Before these grants, I could pretty much name everyone in the state who was working on digital inclusion. Either I'd met them or knew of them through uh, partners. People, I don't want to say came out of the woodwork because that's, that's not a fair statement. I think these people are already leaders within their community, but maybe they weren't specifically focused on digital inclusion, or maybe they were, and maybe we just hadn't met before, but um, and maybe they weren't even calling it digital inclusion. Maybe they were just doing the good work that, that is needed in their communities. Um, but I'm seeing a whole host of people come to the table who I've never met before who are now interested in this. And I think it's absolutely empowering local leaders and, and um, folks from all different types of organizations. There's, um, we had applications from early childhood um, centers, from faith-based uh, organizations, from schools, from libraries, from local governments. And it's just, it's just so exciting because, um, you know, Chris, digital inclusion, it, it takes everyone to do this work, to solve these problems. This is a, a challenge that impacts every single industry. And so you need partners from healthcare and education and libraries. And, and so it's just so exciting to see that start to happen across the state. 
Yes, I was looking at the the list, and it was it was really remarkable to see the range from uh, public entities to uh, you know civil society type organizations. Um, you know, I, it wouldn't have surprised me if it was all libraries, but it certainly wasn't. There was a, a great mix of folks. Uh, Maggie, I'm I'm curious about um, about the the rules for this. Uh, so. If I'm if I'm part of a, a faith based effort in a county that's already received an award and I want to do my own plan, I think you encourage folks to to work together then because there's a maximum of five thousand dollars per county, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So the way we've set it up is that um, we're trying to get as many counties involved as possible. So if one entity in the county has already been funded, then we can't fund that county at least for this first round. For the second round, that'll start over. Um, but if people did reach out or applied from a county that had already received funding, then we were really intentional about putting them in touch with the with the groups that were or the group that was funded in their county. And we continue to do that. So Amy and I are are in the process of thinking through who do we know who's received abandoned C grant or who's involved in this work, participating in the workshop. Um, that might not be connected to others in their county that we know about. And so we're really trying to um, increase that snowball effect by um, connecting people who are working on this um, that might not know each other um, as best as possible. I wanted to make sure we gave credit to the electric cooperatives as well, who uh, we don't have a, a member on this call, but they were essential from the start. I think they've helped to fund some of these awards. Uh, Maggie, do you just want to tell us a little bit about that, that partnership? Yes, the electric cooperatives have been enormously helpful, and they were the first people to see the vision of Band NC and to sign on. So our first two sources of funding came from the North Carolina electric cooperatives, um, which um, support all of the electric cooperatives, um, and as well as from Roanoke Electric, which is out in the eastern part of the state. So they were the first two groups that raised their hand and said, yes, we believe in this. And we could not be doing this work without them. And Amy, I guess I'm curious, uh, is this coming more or less along the way you might have thought it was? You have several years of experience of, of working in the state. Uh, has this been kind of exceeding your expectations or hitting them? Or do you want to admit it's below your expectations because you had such high expectations? They were unreasonable before. <laughs> <laughs> um no, it is not below my expectations. <laughs> I would say it's exceeding my expectations. You know, when we first talked about this, um, I don't know, it was before February of this year. So <laughs> time before February and March seems like, uh, you know, <laughs> eons time. ago. Uh, but um, when we first started talking about this, you know, I thought it was a really exciting idea. Um, I was a little concerned about communities putting together digital inclusion plans and it being too much of a lift. But um it's just, yeah, it's definitely exceeded my expectations. We received over, I think, Maggie, correct me, but I think about 60 applications in the rapid response round, which is a lot. We only have 100 counties, and the projects were really good and really well thought out, and we wanted to fund way more than we could, um, which is, a, a, you know, disappointing, but also a good problem to have. That means there's a lot of people who are thinking through these things really thoughtfully and um, who know the needs of their community and, and are, are working towards helping those folks. Um, so yeah, it's definitely exceeded my expectations and just made me really excited for the future of the state and, and, and given me uh, this glimmer of hope that this digital divide thing might be something that 
in a shorter time frame than maybe I originally anticipated that we would be talking about in the past tense. So I, I think it's really exciting and I think it's definitely propelling us forward in a way that we would not be moving forward with without. Yes, I think efforts like this really catapult us forward. And then when you combine that with work that I think National Digital Inclusion Alliance are doing, frankly, I think you should be keeping that resume pretty um, pretty updated, Amy, because you're going to be switching jobs before too long. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily work myself out of a job. That is like that is my goal, <laughs> to work myself out of a job and this not be something I have to work on anymore. And so, Maggie, I guess one of my last questions is because we're going to we're going to move to uh, a discussion with folks that are implementing some of these plans. Um, but before I do that, I want to ask, this is something I feel like most people immediately think of rural challenges. Are you seeing a mix of rural and urban efforts uh, as part of this uh, program? Yes. I mean, as you know, this is an everyone problem. It's not just a rural issue. Um, and so we are seeing applications from um, rural North Carolina, from suburban North Carolina, and from urban North Carolina, um, especially because we are focused a lot on the adoption piece. And we know that there are more people who um, have access to the internet but can't afford it than who don't have access. That doesn't minimize the access problem at all. But um, we've, from the start, messaged this as this affects every single person in the state. And so we want we want everyone involved in this work. Excellent. Any any closing comments, Amy? Uh, just that we're just really excited for seeing these projects be implemented, um, for seeing the digital inclusion plans that come out of the communities and continuing to work towards closing the digital divide in North Carolina. And, and they're just there couldn't be a better time to hone in and focus on these issues and uh, really roll our sleeves up and get to work. And we're just excited that communities are taking lead in that and we're here to support them along the way. And Maggie, do you have any any final talking points you wanted to make sure we got out? Yeah, two things. One, we mentioned um, the North Carolina Electric Cooperatives and Roanoke Electric, but there are a couple other funders and partners that have made this work possible. Um, includes the John M. Belk Endowment, Duke Energy Foundation, Google Fiber, and Corning Optical have made this possible. And then, of course, working with the Broadband Infrastructure Office and Amy um, and Jeff Sorrell, we could not do this work without them. Um, they've been tremendous partners from the start when we had this idea, and they said, yes, we're in, keep going. And um, even as the pandemic hit and we had to reframe and rethink what we were doing, they were there um, every step of the way. So we could not do this work without them. We're so thankful to have them. And then as Amy said, um, I'm so thankful to the communities that are stepping up. Um, the ones that we were able to fund, the ones that we weren't able to fund, it really is amazing to watch what people are trying and what they're doing and the need is so great. Um, and we're happy to be able to provide um, one small step in the right direction, but it's really people on the ground who are getting the work done. And I couldn't be more um, thankful for them and happy to support and um, proud to get to learn from them. I really want to, again, note that I, I feel like this is so important. This is such an innovative approach, such a bottom-up effort, and it really 
gets to the power of what you can do when you do put your faith in in the folks in the communities directly, um, rather than saying, you know, we have $500,000, how do we figure out how to solve all of North Carolina's problems, you know, just by tapping into the intelligent folks we have at NC State, <laughs> um, which I understand the $500,000, as you noted, came from multiple sources that all bought into this vision. So, um, but I, I just, I, I love that you came up with this because too many people are not thinking about how to do these sort of bottom-up solutions. So uh, kudos to you. Um, and then I also just, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't note um, that um, uh, I don't want to put either one of you on the spot, but North Carolina has unfortunate restrictions and some of the local solutions in terms of partnerships that this podcast has highlighted in the past um, with uh, municipal partnerships and things like that. And um, I just wanted to remind folks that, uh, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, I feel like it would be remiss not to note that um, I am frustrated with some of the barriers North Carolina still has in law. And I'm really glad to see people are working within those constraints to find ways of moving forward. And I think we hope uh, those of us from outside North Carolina that the North Carolina could also lead the way in removing barriers to innovative local partnerships. So um, I didn't want to ask either one of you a question about that because it's not within your roles often to be questioning these sorts of things. Uh, but I did want our listeners just to uh, make sure we weren't ignoring it entirely. So thank you both so much for your time. I am excited to, to talk with some folks that are in the ground implementing this. And, and again, I'll just just note, you know, $5,000, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's going to catalyze so much organization. It's going to unlock so much more. So this is, this is huge. And I hope that not only do we see a hundred counties in North Carolina, but 50 states with all of their counties doing it too. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm really excited to move on to an interview with Arlene Gordon Bray, who is the iZone Community Engagement and Industry Partner at Edgecombe Public Schools. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to talk about what's going on at Edgecombe. And for, for folks who don't know, you're right close to, there to Wilson. And so anyone who's listening to this show, they've probably heard me talk a lot about Wilson before. So this is the area, eastern North Carolina. Um, it's, it's an area in which you're, you're facing a number of challenges uh, with the with the economy over the years. Uh, but but you have this exciting grant now to, to work on digital inclusion. So I guess the first thing is is just, just tell us what you're doing with the grant. Initially, we applied for the grant um, in the summer of 2020 um, when we knew that the governor has said we are going back to Plan C, which is all remote education. And so we're trying to figure out like, honestly, the springtime when the pandemic first hit, you know, went so, so for our families um, and we were all scrambling, but, you know, we, with, we knew that things were going to have to change and we need to figure out how do we support our families in this time. And so um, Bandancy had this grant that was also focusing on digital inclusion. And we said, this could be a really opp good opportunity to get funding and also hear from other um, grantees about like, what's the best way we can make this happen. So initially, the plan for the grant was is that we um, we applied with hosting five sessions, one in person and four that were going to be virtual, of course, social distancing for the first one, mm -hmm. and then four virtual that would talk about the different topics of digital inclusion. So the first one was going to be an in-person one-on-one tutoring for our families around remote education, whether it was like the learning management systems, how to use basic computer tools like turning on a camera, thumb drive, that kind of thing. How do you get in communication with your teachers through Class Dojo or the other materials? And then once we had that interest, the subsequent sessions were going to be on things like digital safety. What does digital citizenship look like? How do we maintain our own privacy? Um, with the plan then to move into broader topics for people to be able to understand what is happening with broadband. So 
Session three is going to be around understanding connectivity. Why do we not have internet? Why do we not have good broadband out where we live and understanding that issue? And then the following sessions, just really getting the feedback from our community, whether it's teachers, principals, and parents about what they need around digital inclusion. We do a lot of like empathy interviews and surveying um, because we're very equity centered in our district. And so those last two, we definitely kept those in the spirit of the work that we always do about making sure it's always based on the feedback. Um, so I'll take a step back. Our first one was planned on being an in-person at three different high schools, which are spread across the county. However, based on the COVID numbers and the interaction that we had, we shifted and we actually did a geek squad, um, but we mm -hmm. called it Edge Squad for Edgecombe County. And so we took six buses with full of teachers. There was like three teachers per bus and went out to six different locations across the county um, for two hours on, um, it was a Tuesday evening to provide support to our families. And we had about 50 to 60 families show up. Um, at one side, I even just had like four kids just on the bus, sick, like three seats apart, just working just because they wanted to be together. I even, I think I even asked them like, do you not have internet at home? They're like, no, we got internet. We just <laughs> wanted to be here. <laughs> um, so our next event is actually going to be next week and we're going to host a game night around digital privacy and digital citizenship. Oh, so it's not just going to be some kind of boring lecture no. kind of thing. No, 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 those don't work. We that now that much we have learned, and we definitely know with internet privacy and citizen digital citizenship that is not going to work. People are tired of being told what to do and don't post on Facebook. And so we said, let's make it a game night. Let's have some fun with it. Um, and we've got fantastic like digital learning coordinators and our digital education lead um, who's already created like a whole Google site, posters, everything um, to be included as like passive programming along with this one. Now, how did you get the word out? Like, how did you target folks to make sure they would know that this was an opportunity for them? Yeah, so um, for our age squad, what we did was... Um, one, like we reached out to principals really early. We told the principals, like, this is what we're thinking about doing. Can you tell us what, what have you seen as issues to make sure they're being addressed um, and made sure they were kind of in on the planning process. And then we sent out um, advertisements through them to put in like all of their individual school newsletters, made sure they sent it out to targeted families that were having trouble right now. Um, we did an all call. So an auto phone call went around to the entire, anybody that was on the phone list that's in the district, they got the phone call about, we're going to be out in your neighborhood. Um, and then we also just have a fantastic team of teachers and bus drivers who let their students know they were going to be out there, which is really like, you know, part of the galvanizing effort. Um, and just being parked out there with snacks and raffles and prizes to also make it fun. You know, that bit about the bus drivers surprises me. It's been a while since I was on a school bus, but but um, the bus drivers seemed like they were an important part of that. They were a huge part. Um, and the, I'll tell you why the bus drivers are like actually end up becoming such a key aspect. And so usually the bus drivers also serve like multiple roles in the school. So maybe they're like on custodial staff or they're like um, food nutrition. Um, and so they have other touch points with the kids. But as terms of being a bus driver, they know how to navigate the neighborhoods best. So when you've got a good bus driver, they know not to just park at one spot, but they know how to go through different mobile home parks or different neighborhoods to beep outside certain kids' doors um, because they have those everyday touch points with the students anyways and they were even able to provide insight to say like it's best if we park here this is the safer place like they actually provided a lot of on the ground help 
When I learned about Band NC, one of the things I was really hopeful is that this money was not only going to do the things you described, but it would change the dynamic. And so I'm curious, aside from the training that you're providing with the money, has it unlocked any new potentials? Has anything changed to, to have a more serious discussion about how to solve these problems? Yeah, I would definitely say so. So, and I would say that on two levels. So the first level is because we were able to get this grant and we were able to connect with other grantees, we have now been able to advocate for our families and have seats at the table um, to really share the concerns and the needs of our community when it comes to digital inclusion and comes to broadband access, which became helpful early on. So like our council of governments, like uh, for the like upper and Eastern part of North Carolina, our COG, as they say, um, they also were a grantee and they are creating a digital inclusion plan for the county. And they were sure to include us um, as, as a part of creating this plan. Um, and I think part of that is just based on the fact that we were like all, you know, we're, we're grantee included in this and this work is included in this. And we've also, we've, you know, sat with our, our town administrator to talk about these needs. Like all of this has happened partially because we do get this grant funding and it's, it's got a little bit more attention. Working with other grantees has also given us additional ideas of how to deploy this work. The second part of where I am hoping, and I think I'm feeling it happen slowly um, in terms of like what kind of shift is happening, um, is that it's actually helping our community to advocate for themselves. So I'm sure most of like the listeners here know how bad um, lack of internet access can be for our community. When we had school go remote in the springtime, 30% of my kids did not have internet. Um, we were printing off paper packets and delivering them with lunches mm-hmm. um, every single day, right? Um, and we, we've discussed this a little bit in the beginning of like, we've had some challenges. My dish, like Edgecombe County um, is a place where you can see that the system has failed folks in so many ways. Many of our schools are Title I. Most of our kids are Black and Brown children, and we we know how the system is never um, equitably built for that, and neither is school built really for that population. Mm -hmm. Um, Only 10% of our parents really have anything beyond an associate's, whereas like the national average is closer to 25%. Uh, So when we move to digital education and to remote access, this was not going to work for us, right? Like, and But when we also know that we will be, we are being hit the hardest by COVID. In-person is not an option. So, you know, what do we do here? And the next option is how are we empowering folks to make things happen, right? Or like to to make these changes. Um, And so I am hopeful that as we've been working on this grant and showing some of the innovations, as well as talking about, like constantly talking about, this is why we don't have access. It is not your fault. It is right. like, this is what, like, right. Like this is not your fault. Right. You didn't, you didn't screw up and AT&T decided not to build here. <laughs> Correct. Like no part of this is your fault. It is not your fault that you made a decision to live in a rural County and that your family is from here and that y'all live here. This is not on you. This is on a, a set of failures for different, um, a set of failures that we don't have enough competition coming in. Making sure that you have fast enough internet that exists here, right? Like mm-hmm. this is not your fault. And then how can we work together to work around this? It's my belief that by doing, by the Band and C grant, by like us going out and talking about this, we're starting to get that message even further. And even as we did the, like um, our edge squad, because really like our team that wrote the grant and works on this is smaller. 
we have now a larger group of like digital learning coordinators, et cetera, that are trying to build into this work and figure out like how we continually meet parents where they're at. And the discussion has shifted even in some spaces from, it shifted to from like, how are we just gonna make sure we're supporting parents in the remote environment with school to saying, how are we now making sure that our parents are equipped with these digital skills? to use for themselves. So we've even like seen in the discussions, like topics have changed there. Um, and we'll talk more next year with our with our actual family students about like, here's why we're not connected, y'all. It's, it's again, it's, it's not your fault. This is the explanation of what's going on. And so you seem, you seem enthusiastic, although you might be enthusiastic about a lot of things. You seem like you're a high energy person. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm, I'm not. I wish I was. Well, I'm, you're, I'm like, you're you can probably coffee, see here. I'm hyped up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm double, I'm double, double fist and coffee here. But I mean, to me, one of the things I was hoping for is that like, uh, and, and you know, I want you to be honest, like all the things you just discussed, that's exciting. I mean, we're talking about a $5,000 investment. It's unlocked a lot, right? I mean, I, one of the reasons I want to talk to you and I'm talking with the, the folks from um, that, I, that we just had on, Maggie Woods and Amy Huffman, is is because this should be being done in every state, right? I mean, this is it doesn't cost a lot and this is a big impact. It is the big impact. And, you know, the hope is that there's a bigger impact. The hope is that we are getting the knowledge and our voices are loud enough that we've got some bigger changes. Um I'll be honest. I'm like partially enthu- I'm partially enthusiastic because I'm tired and I'm I lo- I tell this anecdote all the time because I'm like I, I get so frustrated. And I think I even included this on our like being to see conference call that we had. But like so Edgecombe County where we are, I am three hours from the nation's capital. I'm one hour from the state capital and I am within 45 minutes of two military bases and my kids don't have Internet. Mm-hmm. In 2003, when my dad was in Iraq, he called me with perfect, crystal clear clarity to check in. But in 2020, I have children that don't have internet. That's disgusting, right? Yeah, when you put it like that, it seems like a bit of a failure. <laughs> that's a huge failure, right? Like, and the question is, that's not just one failure. That's a lot of failures. And that when that translates, like when you are telling people your community is in such close proximity to all of these things that our state and our nation kind of like hold to be true, but we don't make this happen for you. That means that shows that we don't care and that you guys don't matter, that your inclusion in the world, in this broader space, it mm-hmm. actually doesn't matter. You don't add much. Um, so it gets me hype. <laughs> no, it should. And, and I mean, I think it's worth, I want to, I want to get your thoughts on this because that's, is very insightful, but the next step is in many ways getting infrastructure out to folks who can afford to pay 50 bucks a month for it or more. And, and the fear is, is that you have these people who've been waiting all this time and they're going to see it going by and maybe some of the neighbors have it, but, but that's a pretty big issue, isn't it for families? I mean, you're describing families that are, that are probably not able to afford that. Correct. And that, I mean, even when we are, you know, of course, like everybody loves to complain about their ISP and how they're not serving their needs. Um, One thing that, I have said, and, and and we say to like different folks when they complain, is I'll just tell them straight up, I'm like, listen, we can't put the full blame on the ISP because if I was an internet service provider, the ROI for me to build out here and the ret- like that return is actually not worth it. Um, we know that in rural communities, there's a lower adoption rate. We know that it's a higher cost. And so the step in, 
when we talk about like, yeah, it, it could be hard for that fifty dollars for for our communities. That means that the step in has to happen from other public private entities and, and partnerships to make that happen. If this is something that we say that is important overall for our community and our economy, we need other folks to help step in and meet that gap. That's right. So what I'm hearing is that is that there's good work happening. There's more good work on the horizon. There's some hope, but there's a lot it's to be done. There's a lot to be done. Yeah, fingers crossed there's some good work happening. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Arlene. Oh, thank you so much. It was good to get on here. I love talking about our, our kids and our community and our county. Thanks for tuning into this episode in our YNC Broadband Matters podcast series and for listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Remember to follow Christopher on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. And if you follow at NC Hearts GB on Twitter, you'll tap into all the NC Broadband Matters material. We want to thank Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com for the series music, What's the Angle? Licensed through Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>